I do have a message prepared this morning to preach, and um, it's heavy on my heart, this one. It was difficult for me to put together. Um, I had to continuously go back to God and say, really? This is what you want me to say? I think you know this already, church. I am a person that takes this moment right here super serious. I pray into it a lot. I ask God, what does He want to say to His people? This is not my church. This is God's church. I'm just a part of the church, and sometimes I get the privilege to speak to the church. So when God gave me this word, I was wrestling with it a little bit. I was like, no, really? No, really? But this is what He wants to say, so um, take it to Him if, uh, if something kind of works you up the wrong way. I think, though, sometimes we do need to be worked up the wrong way because it, it brings out things within us. It's like when gold and silver get thrown into a melting pot, the the, the, the bad stuff come to the top, you scoop it off and it purifies it. So think of this as a purifying session, if you will. And I have been going through a purifying session myself while writing this message. So I'm not alone. This is, I'm preaching to myself just as I'm preaching with you. But let me get started. A while ago, a couple of years ago, probably like six years ago or something, um, God gave me this little slogan, this little nugget, this little catchphrase. And it's grace and truth are as inseparable as his love for you. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. It blew my mind at that moment. I thought, I don't know, I can't remember what I was going through, but I, I just will not forget that statement. Grace and truth are as inseparable as his love for you. I even wanted to create a sticker. I was like, Rosie, we could design this cool sticker. At the time, my Triton that I had had a, had a big ding on the back. I was like, I don't want to talk about that. But I wanted to put a sticker over it and... Uh, never got to that point, but it was a phrase that really stood to me, or stood out to me. It stuck into my mind. So the title of my message this morning is Inseparable. Inseparable. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for the word. I thank you that each word that you give will not return void, God. I know that you want to speak to us as a community. I know that you want to move in our hearts, Father. I know you want to set us free this morning. So Lord, let these words be your words, Father. And let me be able to articulate it so that it will go deep into the spirit of those that hear it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. I do believe that God wants to set us free this morning. And this is why he's given us this word. So when I think of grace and truth, my mind jumps to the story in John chapter 8. And I'm going to read it. It's in verses 1 to 11. It says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. This is a powerful story of grace. 
It's a powerful story of truth. It's a powerful story that demands reflection. It's a, it's a story that's got so much tension in the moment. And that's what I want to do together this morning. I want to reflect on this passage of Scripture together. I want to work through it. And, and as we do it, I want to pull some things out and, and see where we are in regards to this story. See how we line up, how we match up. Use it as a, as a mirror this morning together to see what God wants us to see. So there are three stages to this, this uh, scripture here. And I, I want to, and each stage has its own little message in it that we can take a lot out of. So I want to work through that this morning. So let's dive in and see what God has to say to us this morning. So stage one, I've entitled it court. Stage one is court. John 8, 1 to 5 says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? Have you ever been caught? Hopefully not what this woman has done. But have you ever been caught? Doing something you know you shouldn't do. Have you ever been caught red-handed, crumbs on the face? Have you ever been caught doing something that you know you shouldn't do? It's cute when you're a kid. It's less cute when you're an adult. I always uh, laugh at those videos of little kids that, you know, they've got crayon everywhere or paint everywhere. The bathroom's full of paint. And it's like, did you do this? No. No, I didn't do it. I don't even know what you're talking about. I was just minding my own business. I fell. <laughs> Everything happened. All like chocolate smeared all over their face. The cake half destroyed. Did you eat the cake? <laughs> no. I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea. It's funny, those moments. And I've been in there. I was trying to think of moments that I, I don't even know. I, I hit a cricket ball into a window. It smashed. And I stood there with the bat in my hand. And my parents were like, what, did you just do this? And well. Uh, no? <laughs> yes. Yes, I did. So I think we've all been in that moment where we got caught doing something we know we shouldn't have done. And here's this woman. She has been caught breaking the law. She can't deny it. It says she was caught in the act, which is just crazy. It's just, it's insane. I don't even know what these guys were thinking, but they're just like, oh, that's it. Grab her out. Just horrible. Anyway, she can't talk her way out of it. She was caught doing something she knows she shouldn't be doing. The law that all the Jews knew well is very clear about it. In Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 22, and it's the scripture that these religious leaders quoted to Jesus, is if a man is discovered committing adultery, both he and the woman must die. In this way, you will purge Israel of such evil. And on this premise... She's thrown at the feet of Jesus. This is the Lord Jesus, they said. What do you say? This is what Moses instituted. This is what Moses wrote down. This is what Moses received from God. This is the law. I just want to say, where's the man in this? But I'll get to that later. This is part of the foundation of Judaism. The law must be upheld. 
Breaking the law has consequences. This is true. This is truth. Breaking the law has consequences. It sure does. And the consequence of breaking this law that she broke was death. Not all of the laws of Moses that you broke led to death, but this one does. But it goes a little deeper than this. She wasn't just breaking a law of Moses. She was sinning. And sinning is doing something that God never intended us to do. Sinning is is going against that that moral law, that, that code that is written on each man's heart. That's what sinning is. It's going against the nature that God actually intended us to live with. That's what sinning is. And she sinned. She sinned and the sin that she committed has a consequence. Sin has a consequence. In Romans chapter 6 verse 23, and I'm only going to read the first part of it. It says, for the wage of sin is death. That's the price. Death is, the, is what costs, is what sin costs. That's the price of sin. It's death. No matter the sin, the price is the same. Whether it's lying, whether it's cheating, whether it's stealing, whatever the sin, the cost is the same. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 to 17, God says to Adam, I don't have a scripture of it, so don't go looking for it, Amy. God says to Adam, he can eat of any fruit in the garden, from any tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. No other tree was put limits on. No other tree, just that one tree was off limits. That was the only tree that he couldn't eat one, eat from. Not even the tree of life was off limits. It was just the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life was only made off limits after Adam sinned. After Adam and Eve ate the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. See, humans were never created to die. God never intended us to die. It says it right there. Even the tree of life, who when we continuously read further in Genesis, says if you ate of the tree of life, you will live forever. And God didn't want that. Because humans stepped into sin in that moment. But that was okay for them to eat. So God never intended us to actually die. Death was the consequence of doing something that Adam wasn't supposed to do. In Genesis 3.19, God says to Adam, From dust you were made, and to dust you will return. That was part of his consequence. Then and only then, was the tree of life put out of reach. It was after they sinned. It was doing something that they were not intended to do, that God did not create them to do. That's what brought on death. All sin, no matter what it is, has the consequence of death. And this woman, this woman's sin has brought her to the feet of Jesus. Now the consequence that she must pay is death. By the law standard and by God's standard because she sinned. Isn't it? That's the consequence. Stage two, short. In basketball, we have this thing. If you put up a shot and you know it's not going to make the distance to the hoop, you yell out short so that people can rebound, know where to go for the ball. So it, it just helps the team. 
but it's something that you yell out. It's a horrible feeling putting up the shot and it comes up short, especially if you miss everything. You just don't even, you walk away. You just, nah, I, you know what, I'm hanging up the boots, not playing basketball anymore. I don't want to talk about it. But you yell out short in golf when you uh, hit the ball and it goes dramatically shorter than what you intended it to go. It's a horrible feeling. It's called fatting the shot. I don't make up the terminologies. That's just what it is. It's called fatting the shot. And it's when the club head hits the grass way before the ball. It's never designed to do that. What you're supposed to do is come down onto the ball and you take a nice little divot after where the ball was. The ball flies in the air. It's great. It's a lovely feeling. If you don't do it, do it. It's freeing. Frustratingly freeing, golf. Anyway, but you fat a shot and the ball goes short. Or another one that I don't have much experience in. Some of you do, just looking at the room. Um, being able to reach something on the top shelf. Short, right? You can't get there. You just can't reach what's in the cupboard. You've got to get your husband out. Help me to find that. John doesn't have that problem. John and Jess know everything that's going on on the top shelf. It is covered. It's clear. Why does Jerry Seinfeld come into my head? So good. But it's short. That's what happens. Here is one of those things, one of those moments that this woman was found, has found herself in where she has come up short. John 8, 6, verse 8 says, They were trying to trap him, Jesus, saying something that they could use against him because they were trying to kill him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. This woman come up short. She missed the mark. She fatted the shot. And I'll assume that her intentions were never to do so. I'll assume her intentions were never to end up in that room that she was in. I'll assume that her intentions were never to fat the shot this bad. Her intentions were never to miss so bad. Her intentions were never to be this short, to miss the mark by this much. But here's another truth. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of the glorious standard of God. We all miss the mark. Every day we should be yelling, short! Every day we are fatting a shot. Every day we cannot reach what's on that top shelf. Every day we do not make the mark. Why? It's because that's the nature we inherited from Adam. The first man. Now all of us who were born of humans suffer the same fate. Because of what Adam did. Romans chapter 5 verse 17, just the first part says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. We could say death to rule over all because that's just the fact. None of us are perfect. None of us hit the mark. None of us meet the glorious standard that God has set. Because we all originate from Adam. We are all human. We are all born into sin. Very encouraging. I'm a human. And no matter what I do, I can't be perfect. I try, but I'm not. I'm not perfect. 
I come up short often. I miss the mark. I can't always reach. I don't always do the right thing. But this woman was not alone. Where was the man? Where was the man? The man who was committing a sin with this woman wasn't there to be judged and executed. But the men that caught her and threw her at the feet of Jesus, they were there. And as I was kind of sitting and thinking about this throughout the week, I'm like, why wasn't the man there? Like, was he in on it? What was, that, what was going on there? And then I had this, this thought, and I, I want to say it's from God because I pray that God will give me new insights to things. So I'm going to say it's from God. I'm not clever enough to come up with this. But the men that were there were self-righteous and pumped up full of pride, thinking themselves as better than this woman, disgusted by her actions and demanding that she be put to death because that's what the law commands. But what Jesus reveals to them in this moment is that they are collectively the man that was caught with the woman. They are taking that man's place in front of Jesus. They are committing spiritual adultery every single day. Instead of seeking the heart of God and pursuing Him earnestly, humbling themselves before God, they are caught up in the laws of Moses and how to persecute people who aren't meeting the standards of the law that they enforce. Lusting after self-righteousness and using their religious position to shine the spotlight on other people's adultery so that their adultery is hidden in the shadows. They are cheating on God with the pursuit of sacrificing those that don't conform to their standards of living, to their God, to the law. In Romans 5, it says that the law was given to humans so that all people could see how sinful they are, that how sinful we are. The law was meant to be a mirror, a tool used for ourselves to see where we go wrong. It's not to shine it on other people. That's what the law was not meant to do. The law was a, as an individual personal thing between you and God to show that you fell short. Its purpose was to show people the gap between us and the standard. None of us, no human being has the right to throw stones at anyone. We have all sinned. None of us are in the position to persecute anyone else for their sins. We have our own sins. None of us are perfect. None of us are the righteous judge. Jesus is so smooth in reminding these men of their many sins, letting them know that judgment is reserved for the one with no sin. These two stages are truth, but grace and truth are meant to be inseparable. Here comes the grace. Stage three, cleared. John chapter 8, 9 to 11. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. That's grace. The truth remains, she sinned. But grace is greater. Grace and truth are as inseparable as his love for you. This is who Jesus is. In Romans chapter 5, verse 17, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But it continues on. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness 
For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Adam stuffed it up for humans. But Jesus came and redeemed us. Jesus came graciously setting us free, making a way for us so that sin doesn't have to be paid anymore. It was paid. We don't have to sit with the consequence of that sin anymore. This woman received grace from Jesus in this moment. Her sins forgiven, her debt cleared. Jesus did not condemn her like the religious leaders were. This one act that Jesus does here was a foretaste of what he was going to do for the rest of humanity, for all of humanity, for her, for the men that threw her at the feet of Jesus, for the crowd that was watching and listening all this happen. Instead of us as humans paying the price of sin, Jesus swapped his position of righteousness with us, making us righteous as he took on our sins. This is grace. Romans 5 verse 18 says, Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. That's grace. For everyone, every human being that have ever was, that ever will be, and that is right now, is made righteous by God's one act of grace. We don't know if she truly repented. We don't know if she turned away from a sinful lifestyle. We don't know if she decided to follow Jesus and call him Lord, Lord and Savior. I really want to stress that word, Lord. We cannot walk around claiming to be Christian if Jesus is not Lord of our lives. That's not what Christianity is. He must be in control of our lives. He must be in control of our lives. It's a message for another day. But we do not know what she did. We don't know if she really followed Jesus. But we do know that Jesus gave her a chance to. Just like he gives every single human being a chance. Me, you, your neighbor, the kids at the skate park person that stole your car, person that shot up someone else, every single human being has an opportunity to accept his grace. Every single human being has an opportunity to receive the gift of salvation, no matter what you've done, because all sin has the same consequence, and that's death. But he paid the price for that, and all we have to do is accept his gift. All we have to do is accept that gift of salvation and make him Lord of our lives. Allow Him to lead our lives. Everyone gets a chance. When I look at this story, there are three types of people in this account. There's the person I want to be. There's the person I don't want to be. And then there's the person I am. Jesus, He's perfect. He's blameless. He's without fault. He is the Son of God. He's not a son of Adam. He is without fault. And that's why he is sinless is because he is the son of God. That's who I want to be. I don't want to have a God complex, but I, I want to be like Jesus. Then there's the people that threw her in front of Jesus' feet. The religious leaders, the accusers, the condemners, the rock throwers, 
the ones who highlight other people's wrongdoings and faults and their, so that their wrongdoings and faults will be hidden and overshadowed. That's who I don't want to be. The last type of person is the one who has done something wrong, who has missed the mark, who has come up short, the one who has sinned and has been caught, the one who knows that they have done something wrong. That's who I am. I'm the one that has missed the mark. I'm the one that has sinned. I'm the one that has been caught. I'm the one that has done something wrong. But Jesus does not condemn me. Instead, I receive his grace. I receive his position. I am made perfect and blameless. I am made right in his sight. When God looks at me, he sees Jesus. And it's not because of what I have done. It's because of what Jesus has done for me. It's what he did for me. It's nothing that I did. All I did was receive it. All I did was receive his gift and say, you're in control now. You lead my life. And I'm made righteous. I'm seen as Jesus in God's sight. He looks at me and he sees his perfect son. Because Jesus took my place. Can I have the band come up? Ephesians chapter 2, 8 to 10 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward of good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Goodness doesn't get us salvation, but what salvation does, it brings goodness out of us. He created us to do good. But when we do good, it doesn't bring the salvation. It's, it's a byproduct of salvation. That's what goodness is. Goodness is God's character. And when we accept God into our lives, when we make, make Him Lord of our lives, goodness comes out because God is in us, so He flows through us. You can't take goodness just by itself it doesn't really exist because God is good nothing else is good goodness is not a way to get salvation goodness is a product of salvation nothing we do can gain salvation it's only by grace that we have been saved after reflecting on this passage of scripture I am left thinking how do I go about sharing the truth with others because we have to we spent a whole month in July, going on about sharing the good news of Jesus, going out there, being evangelistic, talking to our neighbors, talking to the people that take our money when we pay for fuel, being evangelistic. How do we share the truth? How do we share with others about Jesus and their need for Jesus? Because it's all good and well going, Jesus loves you. Great. What does that really mean to someone that doesn't even know? They need to know the truth. They need to know that they are sinners. They need to know that they fall short of the glorious standard that God has set. But it cannot be separated from grace. Grace and truth must stay inseparable. The way I see it, there's only one way. And that's keeping truth and grace tightly connected. The truth is that we all fall short of the glorious standard that God has set. But Jesus has made a way 
for all who accept Him to be made made right with God. That's the grace. That's the truth. And they go hand in hand. They do not get said separately. They are put together. Every single verse that I read the part A of is because straight away it says a grace statement. It says we all fall short of the glorious standard God has set, but by grace. It's straight away. It happens straight away. It cannot be separate. And this story in John chapter 8 is truth with grace. It's a mixture of both. Grace is truth. And truth is grace. They are inseparable. Romans 6.23, For the wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a gift. Salvation is a gift. His grace is a gift. A gift that we need to accept. I've said it before. Someone put keys for a Porsche here. Hint, hint. No, I'm kidding. I joke. I joke. I've already got my Porsche sitting on my little dashboard. Anyway, if someone put some keys out here and I never accepted it, that is never mine. That's what Jesus does. He puts the keys of eternal life right here for us. We just have to accept it. There's nothing else to do but to accept His grace. It's not for us to judge, but for us to share. That's what we do. That's the part we play. You see, Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse 17, I did not come to condemn the world or judge the world, but so that the world may be saved through me. That's what Jesus came to do. Yes, he will be the judge at the end of the age because he is perfect. He is righteous. He is the son of God. He's the only righteous judge. None of us can be judged. Only he. He is the one that is the righteous judge. My prayer is that we will be a church that shares the truth with grace that we will be known as a people who love deeply deeply enough to share with those around us the truth with grace to share that they too can be made right with God because of God's grace when we share remember who you are remember what God has done for you and remember the grace That should not be separated from the truth. Yeah, we're supposed to go out there and let them know that there is another way. Let people know that do not know Jesus, that there is another way. That God does not hate them. God loves them. God pursues them. God goes after them. God wants them. God sent His Son to die on a cross so that all who believe in Him, there's no prerequisite other than believing in Him. Like Beck said, even redheads can believe in Jesus. I hope I don't get hate for that. That'll be terrible. Everyone can accept the free gift of salvation that Jesus offers us. Grace and truth, don't separate the two. They're inseparable, just like His love is inseparable of you. He loves you. He is for you. No matter what you do, He loves you. And His grace is with you. And His truth is grace.
Don't separate the two. Why don't we stand together and I want to pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Thank you, Jesus, that your grace is truth. Thank you, Jesus, that though we are sinners, you have set us free. For those of us that have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, you have taken away the cost of sin, the wage that we do not have to pay anymore. And I'm so grateful for that, Father. I'm so grateful for that cost that you have paid, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just in this moment, for those that may be in this room that have not accepted that free gift of salvation that I'm talking about, that have not accepted the grace that God offers, I want to give you a moment right now where you can accept that grace. And I want, to sh- I want you to shoot your hand up in the air so that I can pray with you and so that I can encourage you to meet with us after the service so we can talk about it because it is the best decision that you can make. And I'm 100% sure that everyone in this room that has made that decision can agree to that, can testify to how incredible the decision is to follow Jesus, to allow Him to be Lord of your life. So if there's anyone in this room that wants to make that decision this morning, why don't you raise your hand quickly? I'll give you a moment. Yes, I see that hand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Is there anyone else that wants to accept the free gift of salvation? He made a way for you to be made right with Him. All you have to do is accept and allow Him to be Lord of your life. Is there anyone else that wants to join? Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I just pray right now for my sister, who decided to follow Jesus, who decided to make Jesus her Lord and her Savior. Lord, I pray that you will bless her. I pray that you unlock something in her. I pray that chains will fall off in the mighty name of Jesus. I pray that freedom will come, God. I pray that a clear vision of the future will be given to her, Father, that she knows that you make the path straight, that you set footprints in front of her to follow. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Let's celebrate that this morning. Let's celebrate that this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.